four, and we're going to be talking on the subject, how near is near? How near is near? Amen. Chapter 24, first of all, reading from verse 1. Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. And turn over to verse 32. Now learn a parable of the fig tree, when its branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. In this verse, I want you to dwell on every word in this verse. Very, very important. Dwell on every word so you can straighten out in your mind because many, amen, have misquoted the scripture, misrepresented it, amen, and misused it in so many ways until they have lost the real uh, purpose of Jesus Christ Amen. In using parabolically uh, the subject of the victory. Most of the time they have used the victory as budding or the fruit of the faith. Amen. But at no time have they emphasized the branches and the leaves. So the Bible has never at any time used any words relating to the bud or to the fruit. The bud or the fruit but it is emphasizing, amen, the branch, hallelujah, tender branch, <coughs> simply meaning new branch, and uh, forth leaves, and put it forth leaves, and then the irony of this thing and the strangeness of it is that it is not using the time factor related to spring when things are new and everything begins to grow, hallelujah, and sprout, but notice it's using the word summer, hallelujah. Who ever heard of anything growing in summertime? Amen. Summertime is harvest time. Springtime is growth time, isn't that right? Pretty soon you'll see everything turning green. We're just coming into spring, hallelujah, amen. New leaves, new branches will appear, Leaves will begin to appear on those branches. Praise the Lord. Everything has been brown. Hallelujah. Start turning green. It's a time of growth, time of birth, time of life. Amen. But here, Jesus is talking about summertime, which actually is the end, amen, of a time period. Summer is nigh. <coughs> now, again, establishing the word nigh here, the word nigh here is not like the word near. Near, amen, could be anywhere between one mile, <coughs> one block, five feet from a door, or ten miles, depending from your starting point. 
You folks started out from Wichita, which is approximately 50 miles from here. The Lord bless you. By the time you got 10 miles in and out of Hutchinson, you are getting near to Hutchinson, nearer than when you were in Wichita. Isn't that right? You get within a mile of this church, you are near the church. When you park your car in a parking lot, you're very near to the church. Get out of your car and start walking. All the time you're walking towards the church, you're getting nearer and nearer. But you're not nigh. Amen. When you get to that door, and the next step that you take will put you inside this church, you are nigh at the door. You're no more near, you're nigh. Near, that means there's still a little distance between you and the sanctuary itself. But now you're right there. Hallelujah. So let's read it again. Now learn a parable of the fig tree when his branch is yet tender or new and put it forth leaves. You know that summer is here. If not near, is here. Hallelujah. When we talk about summertime, it's uh, the finale of things, the end of things. Jeremiah, in his lamentation, cried so much after his preaching because nobody seemed to hear his preaching and respond to it. Amen. And he wailed out his lamentation. All oh, that my head were waters and my eyes fountains of tears, that I may weep for the hurt of the daughter of my people. Then he said, the harvest is past. Summer is ended, and we are not saved. Finality in his word. He linked harvest and summer together. Amen. Harvest and summer together. We're going to talk, praise the Lord, on this subject. How near is near? We talk about the nearness of the coming of the Lord, but how near is this nearness of his coming? Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful service. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful congregation that's here. Thank you, Lord, for the leadership of this church. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Ghost as the advocate to this church. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Hallelujah. And I pray that it will be coupled by the anointing of the Holy Ghost as it goes forth. Bless this people, Lord, if there be anybody here <coughs> that have not made the calling and election sure as yet. Let them do so tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. May be seen. <coughs> that 24th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew <coughs> unfolds a scene for us in the very beginning of this chapter of uh, <coughs> Jesus standing on the Temple Mount. He had worshipped with his disciples in the synagogue, in the temple. Amen. And after the worship service was over, they were coming out. Hallelujah. And the disciples were so proud of this beautiful temple that Herod had built for them. And Herod had not spared any expense whatsoever in the construction of this temple. In fact, the temple itself had not been completed in the days of Jesus as yet. For several years after that, that the temple was completed amen it was actually completed in AD 46 but it was finished enough amen there was enough buildings there uh, to uh, to uh, merit worship in the temple 
and it was larger than Solomon's temple, far more magnificent than Solomon's temple, because King Herod, wanting the favor of the Jewish people so that he would please the Roman hierarchy, amen, spared no expense in building this temple for them. That's why it's known as the Temple of Herod, amen. And the Jewish people were very proud of this building, and, and uh, they, 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 uh, with pride, they, they tried to turn the attention of Jesus to the beautiful uh, buildings of the temple, hallelujah, and tried to get his attention, amen, perhaps expecting a favorable response uh, uh, from the lips of the master. Instead, they were shocked, hallelujah, to hear a prophecy uh, of the destruction of this temple in the near future. And he told them, Verily I say unto you, not one stone will be left on top of another. Amen. And uh, sure enough, in AD 70, the Roman legions, praise the Lord, led by Titus, amen, the prince of Rome, came against Jerusalem, were able, praise the Lord, after a siege of three months, to batter the walls down, destroyed the city, burned it down to the ground, destroyed the temple of Herod, Amen to it that only one part of the outward wall of the temple was left standing, known as the Western Wall, which has become known today to us as the Wailing Wall because the Jewish people have adopted that wall as the most sacred shrine in Israel and they've gone year after year for uh, many, many years um, and they have wept and they have um, uh, cried and they have shed tears and they have prayed by that wall. Amen. Um, uh, uh, praying for the restoration of the temple and the return of the Messiah and people heard him as they wailed around the temple for years and therefore it assumed the description as the wailing wall because of the wails of these Orthodox Jews uh, throughout the years that have uh, transpired. <coughs> now the scene changes, amen, in verse 3 uh, from uh, uh, the Temple Mount, which is Mount Moriah, to another mountain that is east of Jerusalem, and that is Mount Olive. Jesus had led the disciples from the Temple Mount eastward to Mount Olives, um, a journey of about half an hour walking, and in the process of this journey, he shared with them many things. <coughs> and when they got to the top of the mountain, a huge multitude of people had followed Jesus and just before Jesus began his discourse and began his teachings, hallelujah, the disciples drew him aside and they had become so galvanized with interest and excitement they could not restrain themselves till after Jesus finished, hallelujah, his talk and his uh, lecturing to the people and to the multitude but they drew him aside and they asked him, praise the Lord, two very important questions. Question number one, when shall these things be? Hallelujah. Now they were asking about the things that the Lord had shared with them and not just necessarily the destruction of the temple at this time because a period had ensued, amen, in the journey from the Temple Mount to Mount Olive and Jesus was repeating himself now <coughs> when he said that the nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, there'll be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and pestilences, hallelujah, and such, amen. And then <coughs> he said, uh, praise the Lord, but the end is not yet. 
And so actually, we do not predicate end-time prophecy on the words of Jesus as far as the wars and rumors of wars are concerned. Oh, I will actually uh, denounce that and tell you, uh, sir, uh, 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 the world has always labored, amen, and been subjected to wars and rumors of wars. When was the world ever free of a war or a rumor of a war? Hallelujah. As far as earthquakes, the world has always had earthquakes. Amen. As far as famines and pestilences, we've always had to contend with that in this world. Hallelujah. As far as nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom, we've always had that. Amen. So as far as false prophets are concerned, we've always had false prophets. So really, these are not... Uh, uh, um, establish themselves as indicators uh, to the end time uh, as much as uh, other prophecies are concerned and as much as they do become part of end time prophecy as they are intensified, amen, and as they become more and more frequent in the last days, hallelujah. But it's a second question that holds our attention more than the first one. And the second question has a two, part, uh, 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 two parts to it. Part number one, hallelujah. What shall be the sign of your coming? I want you to notice here, this was not a matter, hallelujah, of whether you're coming or not. This was already settled in the minds of the disciples. Even before the experience of the upper room, the disciples actually believed that the Lord was going to come back. Hallelujah. They were not asking whether are you going to come back or not. Amen. But they were asking what shall be the sign that we ought to look for that will let us know the time has come for you to come. And the second part of that question was hallelujah and what shall be the sign of the end of the world. Here again it wasn't a question of whether, how long is this world going to last? Uh, amen. Whether it's going to be an end to this world or not. This was already settled in the minds of the disciples um, that the world was going to come to an end at some time or another. But what they were asking is what sign should we look for that will let us know that we are coming to the end of the world. Hallelujah. And Jesus, amen, did not repudiate their questions, praise the Lord. He did not contradict their questions as they were posed to him, but he was giving them some answers now. And he was more concerned with answering the second question than he was with the first question, if you please. Hallelujah. And when we come to verse 32, after he deals with generalities in response to the first question, he comes to the second question and he says, learn a lesson. Hallelujah. A parable, amen, is a story, hallelujah, with a lesson to it. Amen. He said, learn a lesson from the fig tree. When you see the fig tree putting forth new branches or tender branches, 
and leaves appear on those branches. Uh, hallelujah. Know ye that summer is nigh. What is he saying? He's saying when you see the fig tree putting forth new branches and leaves appear on those branches, know that the time of the coming of the Son of Man is at hand. And the time of the coming of the end of the world is at hand. That's what they were asking. Hallelujah. Why did he single out the victory? Amen. Why did he link it, praise the Lord, with summertime, if you please? Amen. Simply because the victory is a little different tree than any of the fruit trees in the land of Israel. But as all fruit trees in the land of Israel, hallelujah, begin with springtime, and when springtime comes, they'll begin to put forth tender branches, and leaves will appear on those branches, and then there'll be the bud, and the bud will be translated into the tender fruit, and then the process of ripening until harvest time in the summertime, hallelujah. But the fig tree does exactly the opposite. In the fig tree, when springtime comes, the bud appears, and the bud is translated into the tender fruit, and the process of ripening begins, hallelujah, and at the beginning of summertime, praise the Lord, the fig tree then will start putting forth branches, and leaves will appear on those branches, and they cover, praise the Lord, that fruit, hallelujah, is becoming ripe, Amen. For the picking, because it's harvest time. Amen. Harvest time. So that the last thing that the fig tree does is put forth new branches and leaves appearing on those branches. Amen. Now Jesus is using the fig tree to symbolize the people. For the fig tree is a symbol of the nation of Israel. Hallelujah. When you see the nation of Israel, amen, come to life. And you see a revival, hallelujah, and the process of restoration beginning in the nation of Israel. Know ye that summer is now. Know ye that the time of my coming is nigh. Hallelujah. Now skipping a lot of the history of the Jewish nation and bringing it to the time of 70 A.D. Up till then, the Jewish nation was still holding together inasmuch as God had already predicted that they will be dispersed and scattered to the ends of the world and they will live under the domination, hallelujah, the Gentile people until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, until the times of the Gentiles come to an end. Amen. And the times of the Gentiles began with the reign of Nebuchadnezzar over mighty Babylon in the year 605 or 606 B.C. When, 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 when the nation of Israel uh, broken into two, hallelujah, uh, 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 kingdoms, uh, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. One made up of ten tribes um, that became known as Israel and the other known as um, Judah made up of two tribes, if you please. Um, and the possibility is um, 
that the division, amen, was based on the division that took place among the 12 spies that went to spy out the land of Canaan. And 10 of them came back and said, it is impossible to possess the land. Why, two of them said, yes, we can, and it's possible. Hallelujah. And so God divided the nation of Israel into two imbalanced divisions. These 10 tribes occupied the city of Samaria, and it became their capital city. And the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin occupied Jerusalem, and Jerusalem became their capital city. But God said, Amen, that the nation will be torn up, divided, scattered, and dispersed to the four corners of the earth. He even established that as an object lesson when he told the prophet Hosea to go and marry a woman by the name of Gomer from the land of Hordom. Hallelujah. And to this unholy union, three children were born. And God would not allow Hosea and Gomer to name those children, but he himself took it upon himself to give them names because in every name that he gave, there was a prophecy that was related to the nation of Israel. The first child that was born was a male child, and God said, call him Jezreel. And the word Jezreel in the Hebrew means scattered and dispersed. Hallelujah. And God said, thus will I do to this people. I will scatter them and disperse them to the four corners of the earth. Hallelujah. The second child, amen, was a, was a girl. And God, amen, told Hosea and Gomer, call her Lorohama. In the Hebrew, Lorohama means unpitied, without sympathy. And God said, thus will this nation be when I've scattered them. They'll be without sympathy and without pity. That means without God's sympathy and without God's pity. And a third child was born to Hosea and Gomer. And God said, call that child's name was a male child. Call him Lo-Ami in the Hebrew. That means not my people. Hallelujah. Long scattered and dispersed among the heathen nations of the world. They will not be considered my people until such time. And when they return, hallelujah, and come back from their wayward ways and repent, praise the Lord, and acknowledge me as their God, hallelujah, then will I take their stony heart and give them a new heart. I will sprinkle them in water and wash their sins away, and I'll put my spirit into their inward parts. Then, and only then, they'll be known as Ami and not Lo Ami, meaning my people. And they'll call me Ishi, my husband. Hallelujah. Amen. And so God, amen, predicted the dispersion of the Jew. And therefore the Assyrians came against the ten tribes of Israel, conquered them, destroyed the city of Samaria, and they took them captive to Assyria. And the ten tribes went into obscurity. A hundred and twelve years after that, Hallelujah. Judah sinned against God. And the Babylonians, led by Nebuchadnezzar, came against Judah, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, the temple of Solomon. And Nebuchadnezzar took Judah captive into Babylon. And the captivity of the Jew began, and the dispersion of the Jew began. They had no more temple. 
had no more a national status hallelujah but the completion of that dispersion and the completion of that scattering did not take place until after their last temple was destroyed where they didn't have anything to hold them together at this time and the dispersion was completed the Jewish people left the land of Canaan and dispersed to the four corners of the earth hallelujah that's why the land of Palestine amen what we knew as Palestine and what we know in part as Israel was occupied by the Arabs at this time because the Jews were dispersed out of the land and they were scattered to the four corners of the earth amen praise the Lord but Jesus or God rather had established a covenant with Abraham that was known as an everlasting covenant and he had committed himself to Abraham to fulfill that covenant and inasmuch as the covenant began as a conditional covenant and in Bible language a conditional covenant has a formula if you will I will hallelujah so that God was telling Abraham if you'll forsake your people and your land hallelujah and your homeland and walk before me praise the Lord I will bless you and I'll bless your seed hallelujah amen and Abraham fulfilled his part of the agreement but he died before God could finish his part of the agreement amen and therefore God fell committed to Abraham bound by the covenant that he made with him because he told him that's going to be an everlasting covenant and after the death of Abraham the covenant itself became unconditional with the formula I will I will and in spite of the fact that Israel had sinned against God time and time again God still feels obligated to the seed of Abraham because of a man Abraham to fulfill his part of the agreement that he made with that man looking at the Jew today amen they're the most sinful people in the world they're the most backstabbing people in the world their greed for money hallelujah is very very obvious if you please amen and they are behind everything that is dirty everything that is sinful they are the pioneers of Hollywood and all of the prostitution of Hollywood if you please they're the pioneers and they are behind in syndicated form of all of the pornography and the obscene literature that has flooded this country all of the theater houses amen that 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 had x-rated movies in them were owned by Jewish people I talked to one of them one time I said aren't you ashamed of yourself that you would allow amen this theater to have these x-rated movies and provide all of this filthy lustful pornographic obscene amen uh, material uh, to be peddled before the eyes of the people you being a Jew uh, hallelujah should be an example to the world praise the Lord um, of God's holiness and righteousness uh, amen um, and he looked at me uh, he said no skin on my nose if the Gentiles want want to come and pay money to look at these movies um, I only provide them the movies amen I don't force them to come and watch them I said whether you force them or not you're the instigator of this filth amen and you're more guilty than they are hallelujah 
And therefore, when you look at the Jew today, amen, in the land of Israel, 65% of them that live there don't even believe in God. That probably shocked you. Hallelujah. Only 15% actually believe in the literal coming of a Messiah. All of their settlements that they call kibbutzes in the Hebrew, they have a model there, amen. We don't discuss God in the settlement. We don't talk religion here. Hallelujah. This is a commune, if you please. And that's where the word communist comes from because the Jewish people were the instigators of communism. Hallelujah. Amen. They're the authors of it. And in that commune, amen, when tourists come to visit this settlement, if you please, they have a slight presentation and the narrator narrates the birth of this settlement and its progress and in the process of his narration he will make sure that he says God has no place in our settlement we don't mention God we don't talk about God and we don't discuss religion here hallelujah time and time again I've stopped Jewish people amen on their own street in Jerusalem some of the other cities hallelujah ask them about their Messiah and they respond back belligerently with these words who is my Messiah Give me money. Give me power. That's my Messiah. That's the attitude. Amen. That's the attitude. And only a very small percentage of them are orthodox enough to believe, amen, in the writings of their prophets, and they are looking for towards the coming of a Messiah. No wonder the Bible says in the writings of Ezekiel, Zechariah, rather, that only one-third, amen, of all of the people call themselves Jews, which actually be saved in the end time. The rest of them will perish. Amen. And so the dispersion was completed in 70 A.D. And from 70 A.D. Hallelujah. Until the 20th century, the Jewish people had no homeland. They were wandering Jews. To make up for the lack of a temple, they began to build places of assembly and they called these places of assembly synagogues. They were actually mini temples, amen, in different parts of the world, in their communities, wherever they had been scattered to. It doesn't make us where you would have traveled prior to 1948, hallelujah, you would have found Jewish people living there. I've been in the Orient, amen, I've been in Japan, I've been in, in Hawaii, I've been in Korea, I've been in parts of China, Everywhere I've gone, I found Jewish people living there. Amen. I've been in the continent of Europe. I've been in most of the countries in Europe and found Jewish people living there. I've been in every country in the Middle East. Amen. Turkey, Iran, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, part of Saudi Arabia, if you please. Hallelujah. Egypt. Amen. I've been in Morocco and Algeria, if you please. I've been in parts of Africa. And everywhere I've gone, I found Jewish people living there. I've been in parts of Asia, amen. I've been in Australia, if you please, and I found Jewish people living there. Hallelujah. The only place I haven't been to is Alaska, and I know that there are Jewish people lived in Alaska at some time or another because some people told me they knew of some Jews that lived there. So everywhere you would have gone, you would have found Jews scattered there, and many of them were living under hard times and were being persecuted by the people, amen, where they lived among. Hallelujah. Because God said, amen, that your life will be so miserable when you're scattered 
that when morning comes, you'll wish it was night time, and when night time comes, you'll wish it was morning. Your days and nights will be so miserable, you'll wish that they keep changing all the time. And when you hear the sound of a falling leaf, my Lord, how much sound does a falling leaf make? But when you hear the bare whispering sound of a falling leaf, you will think that there's somebody behind you, amen, preparing to kill you. You live in such a state of fright and such a state of fear for your life. And that's why the Jewish people have built a suspicious mechanism inside of them of everybody that is not a Jew. Some Gentile people are always saying, I've got a lot of Jewish friends. And I tell them, no, you don't have a lot of Jewish friends. You've got a lot of Jewish acquaintances. There's no such thing as a Jewish friend to a Gentile because a Jew has a certain invisible line and he allows that Gentile to get to that line and he won't allow him to get beyond that line into his life. I ought to know. I lived with them for 18 years. I was born in their midst. Hallelujah. Amen. And I can't say I have friends, even though I played with them. They were my playmates when I was growing up. Amen. I went to school with them. I can speak, read, and write the language just as fluently as they can. I look like them. Amen. I can pass for a Jew anytime I want to, and I did several times, and it saved my life. Hallelujah. Not only that, I've learned to bargain like they bargain, too. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, let me tell you something, my Gentile friends. You can never Jew a Jew down. Don't even try it. Never Jew a Jew down. Amen. But inasmuch as God, hallelujah, was going to punish these people because of the sin of unbelief, because they refused to possess the land of Canaan when he brought them to the borders of Canaan, even God, hallelujah, never meant to forsake them altogether. There was going to come a time, hallelujah, in the last days of Israel's history when God was going to start the restoration process, if you please. And from among these people, he would choose a remnant, hallelujah, to fulfill, amen, the covenant that he made with Abraham as far as they are concerned. And so he had his prophets prophesy like Isaiah and, and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and Daniel. Amen. And it shall come to pass, saith the Lord, that I will stretch forth in the last days my hand. Amen. And I will, praise the Lord, gather together the dispersed of Judah and the scattered of Israel from the four corners of the earth and bring them back to their homeland. Amen. Jeremiah says the same thing in chapter 23. Isaiah in chapter 11. Ezekiel in chapters 36, hallelujah, and 37, 30. Zechariah, praise God, talks about it. And all of this is related to the restoration. But it's always, it's always the expression, and it shall come to pass in the last days. What are the last days in Jewish history? Hallelujah. The last days in Jewish history, praise the Lord, encompass the last week of the 70 weeks of Daniel that were determined on the Jewish people. Amen. When the angel of the Lord came to Daniel while he was praying and concerned about his people and himself, hallelujah, and he began to tell him, 70 weeks are determined 
The word determined means purpose or set aside upon your people and upon your holy city. Hallelujah. That's none other than the city of Jerusalem. Now in the Hebrew, if I was to read that from a Hebrew Old Testament, it would read Shev'im Shev'ah, simply meaning 70 sevens of heptad years. Hallelujah. That means uh, what the angel was telling Daniel is that 77s of heptad years, a heptad year is 30 days to a month, 360 days to a year. It does not vary. That's a Bible measurement of time. Amen. No leap year. Hallelujah. No provision for any special holidays that the Catholic Church has inserted into this calendar that we have today. Amen. But it's 77 of heptad years, which actually total 490 years. Amen. From the beginning of the signing of the decree in the days of Nehemiah to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Until, amen, the times of the end, Gentiles, come to an end. And so, 483 of these 490 years are past history. That means 69 weeks of the 70 weeks are past history. Or 69 times 7 is 483. And there's only one week of seven years left. But somehow, hallelujah, between the closing of the 69th week, and the beginning of the 70th week, God stopped the wheels of prophecy. And he decided to introduce a new program. Hallelujah. And this is known as a program of the church, if you please. Amen. While the Roman Empire was still ruling. Amen. If you please, in AD 37, hallelujah, the church was born. Amen. And the church has been here ever since. And the 70th week or the last seven years will not begin until the program of the church has been completed. Because that's a different program altogether from the program of God for Israel. Amen. Bear in mind now, because we don't need to misconstrue the scriptures and we don't need to add our two cents worth to the scriptures because the Bible doesn't need our opinion. And we have a lot of opinions that have confused the minds of people about the scriptures when actually the confusion, hallelujah, is only the result of our private interpretation and our private opinion. You just don't read the English translation of the Bible and decide to preach prophecy on the faith of your just reading the Bible, amen, and starting to look between the lines to find out things that are not there. And we get a lot of between the lines prophecy that is not even in the Bible. Amen. There's a lot of things that are involved in Bible prophecy teaching. First of all, you have to take into consideration the language of the Bible. The Bible is written in four languages two major languages and two minor languages. The Old Testament is written in the Hebrew as a major language and the Aramaic as a minor language. The New Testament is written in the Greek language as a major language and the Latin language as a minor language. And so 
inasmuch as the King James translation is correct, hallelujah, but it's limited in word meaning because the English language compared to the Hebrew and the Greek, the Aramaic and the Latin is very limited in word meaning. I'm telling you this because you may have been confused in the course of time by hearing people teach about these things and they probably have contradicted your thinking time and time again. Amen. But I want you to open your mind and, 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 and listen because we are talking about the original substance here and not just our adopted thinking from somebody else's thinking. A lot of prophecy teaching today is Trinitarian in concept. It's not oneness in concept, it's Trinitarian in concept. And we have just adopted it and carried it on without even doing our own research about it. Hallelujah. And I don't need to go, amen, to Strong's Concordance. I don't need to go to Clark's commentary. I don't need to go to any commentary. Because remember, all of these books out there, that even some of our preachers, amen, swear by almost, uh, hallelujah, are strictly commentaries. And when you define the word commentary, it is simply the comment of the individual and not necessarily a fact. That's what a commentary is. See? Anybody could write a commentary. It could be elder commentary. It could be urchin commentary, just as well as Matthew commentary. Amen. That doesn't make them necessarily right. It's only a commentary that you're reading. An opinion, hallelujah, are commented by these people. So in Bible prophecy, you have to know the language. For example, when you read the writings of the New Testament in the English, amen, and just using a very simple illustration here, and you come across the word love in the English language, there's only one word for all kinds of love. And that word is love, L-O-V-E. But in the Greek, there's a different word for every kind of love. Hallelujah. Which establishes the thought concept of the writer and makes it more precise and more specific and more to the point. Amen. If the Apostle Paul is writing about divine love, he would use the word agape in the Greek. If he was writing about Hallelujah. Kinship love, like family love, he would use the word filial. If he's writing about humanitarian love and benevolent love, he will use the word philanthropus. If he's using, praise the Lord, the word love in relation to the marriage bed, it will be eros. Hallelujah. So that in the Greek then, amen, there's a root word, and from a root word there are branch words, that branch out and you've got to hallelujah pick up the branch meaning of the word to follow the thought trend of the writer to establish what he is telling us and it's the same thing in the Hebrew hallelujah amen when you read a scripture in the Bible like Revelation 3 and 10 and the Bible says hallelujah I will amen deliver you that means spare you from the hour of trial that is coming upon all those that dwell upon the earth to try them. That's not talking about the church. 
You have to understand the words that he is using. First of all, you have the word dwell. The word dwell from the Greek and from the Hebrew. Katokeo and chaya simply infer a permanency of dwelling. Amen. A permanency of dwelling. And the word try simply means to afflict, to bring under oppression. Amen. To bow down. Hallelujah. To expose the evil thereof. The church is not a permanent dweller on this earth. What are we? We're like Abraham. We are sojourners. We are pilgrims. We're just passing through this world. Hallelujah. Amen. That's what your pastor was saying. Amen. I'm glad I'm not concerned about money. But I'm just concerned about loving God and praising God and worshiping God. Why? Because I've got a home that God has prepared for me. Hallelujah. Beyond this life itself. I'm not a permanent dweller of this world. I'm like Abraham, a sojourner. I'm looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and whose maker is God himself. Hallelujah. Therefore, you have to understand the language, you have to understand the historical background, you have to go to the country itself and study the geographical location of what has been written, you have to consider the culture, hallelujah, and all of these things, the historical aspect, the grammatical aspect, to understand Bible prophecy. Amen. And therefore, the last days then refer to the last week of the 70 weeks determined upon the Jewish people. That's the last age of Israel's history. Hallelujah. And bear in mind, and never forget this, neither the church nor the Gentiles are included, nor are they the subject of this last week. Amen. Even though they're going to be indirectly affected, hallelujah, yet it's not determined upon them. Daniel heard the archangel saying, 70 weeks are determined upon your people. That's the Jews. That's not us. The church was never born then. Daniel did not think about the church. The church was a total mystery to the Old Testament. Never mentioned in the Old Testament. Hallelujah. And the church is not made up of Jews. The church is made up of all kinds of people. All races of people. So the church couldn't be included in that 70 weeks. Either the beginning of them or the ending of them. Hallelujah. But the church, amen, was made provision for in the interim period of time between the closing of the 69th week and the beginning of the 70th week. And when the program of the church comes to an end, the church does not need to be around anymore because its mission has been completed and so the Lord will take the church out of this earth and when the church has been caught up to meet the Lord in the air, then God will resume the wheels of prophecy and he'll begin his dealings with a Jewish nation. These are the last days that the prophets talk about relative to the Jewish people. Hallelujah. And the restoration process was to begin, but it was to be culminated, or it was to be concluded 
at the end of that seven-year period. Hallelujah. 1918, the first, hallelujah, fulfillment of the prophecy of the restoration process began. Amen. When the British government occupied the land of Palestine that was occupied by the Turks at this time, hallelujah, and having made an agreement with a young Jewish scientist by the name of Chaim Wiseman for the purchase of a formula for the production of a highest explosive, that they had invented, he had invented at that time, and that was TNT. Britain was at war with Germany, and they needed something to give them a boost to win that war. They found out that Mr. Wiseman had this formula. They tried to buy it from him. He wouldn't sell it for silver or gold. Hallelujah. But he told them, I'll tell you how you can get this formula for me. If you will establish a declaration that at such time, when British, Britain will occupy the land of Palestine. They'll provide the wandering Jew a homeland. I will give you the formula. And the British government agreed with him. They, they got a declaration established. It became known as a Balfour Declaration because Lord Balfour had negotiated for the formula. 1918, the British government having won World War I, hallelujah, moved, praise the Lord, and occupied Iraq, occupied Iran, occupied Kuwait, occupied all of those Middle Eastern countries, and then they turned turn occupied the land of Palestine as well. That's the reason we got all of this conflict out there in the region of the Gulf, because the British government, amen, just sitting over a cup of tea, decided to divide those countries and put uh, rulers over them on their own merit, uh, hallelujah, without any, amen, uh, uh, prorated outlook as far as the future is concerned. And all of this is resulting from that. Amen. And so when they occupied the land of Palestine, here comes Mr. Wiseman waving that declaration, hallelujah, and he said, I want you to live up to this declaration. And England had no choice but to do just that. And for the first time since 70 A.D., the gates of Palestine were opened for a mass immigration of the Jewish people. They started coming from the east, west, north, and south. And the beginning of the fulfillment of these prophecies, hallelujah, had already been initiated. But then the Arabs who were living there, the Palestinians who were living there, became real alarmed at the influx of so many Jews coming into the land that they began to demonstrate and the British government was concerned about an insurrection in the land. So they promised the Arabs they will slow down the immigration of the Jew. Hallelujah. And in the 30s, uh, praise the Lord, and the early 40s, the Jewish immigration almost came to a standstill until the mandate of the British government uh, Praise the Lord was coming to an end in 1948 and with the ending of the mandate of the British government occupying the land of Palestine, they established a resolution passed it to the UN that was established by then, praise the Lord, to allow Israel to have an independent state and by an overwhelming majority vote, the UN, praise the Lord, voted to allow the Jewish people to have a state of their own, an independent government in Israel. The land was divided between the Palestinian Arabs and the Palestinian Jews as such. And that very night, on that memorable day of May 14, 1948, 
the British government pulled out of the country, lock, stock, and barrel, hallelujah, leaving the country without any law of any kind, any militia of any kind, any police force of any kind, and it became a free-for-all, and the first war broke out between the Jews and the Arabs, hallelujah. And the Jewish people won that war not because uh, they were a strategic military fighters. No, no, no. In fact, they were so ill-equipped as far as arms were concerned. They went fighting with wooden clubs, the handles of pickaxes, if you please, metal pipes, and a few outdated rifles. But, oh, friend, this was God now fighting, not just the Jewish nation. God was trying to establish His Word and fulfill it, hallelujah. And therefore, He appointed, praise the Lord, delegated messengers from heaven to march in front of these Jewish people, only exposed to the eyes of the enemy, but the eyes of the Jews did not see that. And all the Arabs could see was a phenomenon, an apparition of a man dressed in a white robe, white beard, white hair, sandals on his feet, and a staff in his hand, walking in front of that band of motley Jews. Hallelujah. And this was happening on three fronts at the same time, simultaneously. Amen. And they saw that just about the time they were getting ready to pull those machine gun triggers to mow those Jews down, all of a sudden this apparition would appear. Hallelujah. And these Arabs, amen, being superstitious, uh, would look at one another and they would be so frightened that they'd say, Allah has come to fight for these people. He sent Moses to lead them against us. Uh, amen. We can fight them, but we can't fight God. And they drop their weapons and run. Hallelujah. But the Jewish people had scales of blindness. They couldn't see that. In the war of 1967, Egypt had guided missiles. The Jews didn't have guided missiles. And they had them, hallelujah, in the Gaza desert. And they were pointing towards the cities of Israel, hallelujah. And yet, when Jewish uh, tanks and, and Jewish uh, armored cars and jeeps came to those missile sites, uh, amen, they found nobody manning those missiles. Uh, and those missiles had been turned around, if you please, uh, from pointing towards the cities of Israel. They were pointing towards the cities of Egypt. Uh, as though an invisible, gigantic hat had come and turned those missiles around. Hallelujah. God intervening, amen, on their behalf, if you please. Praise God. So the process began. A victory put forth extended branches and now leaves are appearing on the thick way. Hallelujah. And I'm going to close for tonight by sharing with you some things that are so important are happening in Israel right now. First of all, the Jewish people are becoming so conscientious and sensitive now to the coming of the Messiah that they have opened schools teaching young student rabbis how to offer sacrifices. Year before last, in 1989, amen, I made a trip to Israel, and I sat in one of those schools for two and a half hours among those young Jewish rabbis. And they're a special sect from the Kohenite sect. These are the priestly sect, amen. I sat for two and a half hours with them, and I studied with them 
as those elder rabbis were teaching those younger ones, amen, all of the processes of how to offer sacrifices in preparation to the time that's coming when sacrifices will be revived among the Jewish people. In their temple that they have built, if you please, amen, the rabbi himself took me on a tour of that temple. He took me to a chamber completely bare in the back of the temple. Hallelujah. The only thing I saw, and I just had a glance that didn't appear to be significant to me, I saw a marble slab built against the back wall of that chamber slanting down. And nothing else in that chamber. And the rabbi took me in there and he said, Reverend, you know what this place is for? I didn't say anything. He said, this is the slaughter room. That's where the sacrifices will be brought. Hallelujah. And, and he moved out there to that marble slab and ran his finger from, from the top all the way to the bottom. Amen. And then he said, come over here. And I went there and they showed me then a drainage system out there at the end of that marble slab. And he says, that's where the blood of the sacrifice is going to be received. And I looked at him and said, Rabbi, tell me one thing. Why have you built your temple over here instead of on Mount Moriah where it should be built? And I was shocked at his reaction to my question. Tears filled his eyes, and he couldn't speak for a few minutes, amen. It's like a, there was a, a catch in his voice, but when he got a hold of himself, he said, Reverend, he said, this is not, amen, the desire of the Orthodox Jews, the devout Jews of our land. This is the work of Zionism. Zionism is not a religion in Israel. It's a political machine. Is devoid altogether of any religious connotations. In fact, most Zionists don't even believe in God. Amen. They belong to the sect of, of heads of terrorism like Menachem Begin and Isaac Shamir and, and Ariel Sharon. All of these people, I knew them when I was a little kid, and they were part of terrorist groups that were terrorizing the land at one time when the British government was there. In fact, Menachem Begin amen was on the 10 most wanted men list of the british government criminal list at that time and therefore he said it's a political machine that has demanded the construction of this temple and it's not the devout jewish people of israel and he said they don't realize it but they have prepared this place for the counter messiah i think i knew what he was talking about and I asked him, counter Messiah, what do you mean? He says, you know somebody who's going to come and pause as our Messiah, but he will be a counterfeit. He will be not real. He will be a, a man, a, a fictitious Messiah, but our people rally to him, and they will bring him and have him sit in this temple and worship him. Amen. And I said, when is your Messiah coming? He said, if you want to know, you go to Mount Zion, and somebody will tell you. So Mount Zion, where Mount Zion? That's a large area. Now give me a clue. Point me out an address to a person, a name. He said, no, no, no. When you go there and you see the person, you'll know it's them. You ask them. Next morning, about mid-morning, I went to Mount Zion, and I walked around. I saw all kinds of people milling around there. I saw laborers mixing uh, uh, mortar. Hallelujah. I saw women with baskets on their heads laden with vegetables and fruits, uh, amen, making their way to the marketplaces. I saw black-robed rabbis with the Torahs under their arms uh, headed towards the cemeteries to pray for the dead, but nobody there 
that I thought would be the one to answer my question. And I kept walking around till I found myself standing at the edge of this mountain. And I don't know why I just bent over to look down. And what I did, I found myself looking into the mouth of a cave. And sitting inside this cave were two ancients of Israel. Later on I found out one was 96 years old and the other one was 94 years old. Amen. And they had huge books that had turned yellow in their pages and manuscripts all over that, that um, uh, a floor of that uh, 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 cave covered with a straw mattress. And these fellows were sitting cross-legged there. And I was kind of embarrassed. I thought I had really... Uh, uh, nosed into something that was personal. And I just, uh, to, to, to save face, uh, I just uh, gave him the usual uh, uh, um, a greeting there. I said, Shalom. That means peace. And they respond back to Shalom. I said, Muslim Chem, how are you? They said, Tov me oh, thank you. And then I started walking away. He said, the elder one said, Tavo, Tavo, come on, come on down. So I went around and made my way to the mouth of the cave and stood there. And he invited me to sit down. Uh, and I said, what are you gentlemen doing here? What's all this literature that, uh, hallelujah, is here in this cave? And the elder one, 96-year-old one, eight, amen, taken hold of this man. He raised an arm, a feeble arm, looked like it had the palsy in it. And he stretched out an index finger, and he said, son, look out yonder and tell me what you see. The mouth of the cave looked eastward. He said, tell me what you see out there. I said, well, I see a grove of olive trees. He said, no, no, look beyond that. Well, I see a cemetery out there. He said, no, no, look beyond that as far as your eye can see. And as far as my eye can see was the top of Mount Olive. I said, I see the top of Mount Olive. He said, yeah, yeah, that's what I want you to tell me. He said, soon now our Messiah is going to come. And his feet are going to touch the top of that mountain. And that mountain is going to be split in half. And a canal is going to be formed. Amen. And waters will flow into this canal from under the city of Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. And will go as far as the Mediterranean Sea one way. And as far as the Dead Sea the other way. The two seas in Israel. And join these two seas together. And the waters of the Dead Sea will be healed. Hallelujah. And Jerusalem will become a harbor city. And then the Messiah will come into Jerusalem through the east gate. And he will establish himself as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Would you believe it that not long before that, Jewish people have tried to bring a resolution into the House of Parliament to be passed for the government of Israel to build a canal that will stretch all the way from the Mediterranean to the Dead Sea because the waters of the Dead Sea have been receding for several years now <coughs> since the Jewish people have changed the course of the Jordan River from flowing into the Dead Sea. They're using it to irrigate all of their hallelujah, land, amen, the vegetation and the fruit trees and what have you and the desert country. And therefore the Dead Sea has suffered the loss of the water uh, that the Jordan River just flowed uh, uh, into and uh, it has been receding and it alarmed the government 
because with the receding of the water, the minerals will dry and they'll be no good. They'll lose their potency. And so they were talking about building a canal uh, from the Mediterranean to draw water from the Mediterranean Sea and to supply that water into the Dead Sea to raise the level of the water. And every time that resolution would come to the floor, amen, it would not pass. Um, but then it came very recently before this rabbi was telling me this. Um, and it was such a hot, heated argument in that chamber. The Orthodox members of Parliament stood up and they shouted and said, you cannot do that. Amen. It is already destined, it is already prophesied by prophets uh, that a canal will result uh, from the coming of our Messiah when his feet touch Mount Olivet. Uh, it's not up to our government to build that canal. Hallelujah. That canal will be formed when our Messiah comes. Hallelujah. And they packed that resolution and sacked it. Amen. And praise the Lord. They were convinced that that's going to be an act of God when it happens. Our Messiah is soon coming. And he made me so ashamed of myself. I was feeling goosebumps all over me all the time. This ancient of Israel is talking to me. Hallelujah. Sitting in the mouth of cave, studying the scriptures, waiting with excitement for the coming of the Messiah. And here we are, members of the body of Christ, and our Messiah is coming just sooner than he's coming to them. Seven years sooner. Many of us aren't even excited when we hear a message about the rapture of the church. It has become so common to us when right now we should be the most excited about the coming of the Lord. Right now we should be the most excited about the rapture of the church. Hallelujah. If there was ever a time, moms, dads, when you need to do everything in your power to fight Satan and save your children from the clutches of Satan, do it now. Amen. I don't care what you have to do. Hallelujah. You don't have much time. If you want your children to go up in the rapture with you, you better start working it right now. Get mad at the devil. Hallelujah. Get so mad at him. Amen. Tell him, your children don't belong to him. They belong to God. Get mad at him. Fight him. Hallelujah. Fight him. Amen. Don't just come to church and very passively pray for my husband, pray for my son, pray for my daughter. Casual prayers, that's not enough. You've got to get yourself involved, amen, in such an intense way, hallelujah, of fighting the devil, amen, and challenging God until God is forced to bring your children to church and save them. And he'll do it if you challenge him. Hallelujah. In closing... Just before the Gulf crisis, and mind you, the situation is no different now than it was when the crisis came. People think just because the war ended there, so that wasn't even a war. That's like a lion fighting a mouse. It wasn't a war. It was a one-way ticket all the way. Our air power, amen, won the battle. Many of our troops didn't even see any action. Only a few of them saw some action. Really? Amen. Wasn't much of a war. But that's really not the issue. The issue as we talk to you tomorrow night about it is that part of the world that has become the limelight of Bible prophecy. And that has not changed one bit the program of God. Just because there's no active action there in a war, amen, doesn't mean 
and that we are not living in the end time. We're closer to the end time than we've ever been in our lives. The Apostle Paul says, now is our salvation nearer. Nearer. And if it was nearer in his day, how much nearer is it now? Hallelujah. I received a telephone call, a long-distance call from a cattle breeder. Somebody had given him my name. Amen. He wanted somebody to mediate for him and to help him negotiate. The Temple Institute in Israel that are responsible for temple worship and temple preparations and, and temple sacrifices contacted this cattle breeder to provide them with red heifer cattle. And they specified in this letter the purity of the gene that the pure gene red cattle. No crossbreeding of any kind, no mixture of any kind. They have to be less than three years old, hallelujah, without any blemish. And if he could provide them with this species of cattle, then for him to make a trip down there, sit down and negotiate for the price, for the amount, how they're going to be shipped. And he called me up. Brother Urshan, he called me brother because he's not in the church. He called me reverend. He says, look, your name has been turned over to me. I understand that you're a native of that country. You are familiar, amen, with all of this. Would you consider going with me when I make a trip down there and help me negotiate the sale of the red heifer cattle? I said, well... Before I commit myself to anything, I would know, I would want to know more about it. I would have to have some facts before me, amen, before I would even commit myself. Send me all of the literature that you have received from the Temple Institute. Send me copies of the letters of correspondence that you've had with them. Send me a picture of the red heifer cattle that you have, amen, that we're talking about. And he did. He faxed everything to me. Overnight, I received all that literature. I received a colored picture of the red heifer, uh, uh, a cow, amen, uh, that, uh, that uh, uh, he was negotiating for. And I read all of the uh, material that the Temple Institute of Jerusalem had sent him, amen. And I'm telling you, when I started reading that, I thought to myself, even I, as much prophecy as I preached, did not actually realize how near, near is. You see, my friend, the reason that Jewish people have to have the red heifer is because they have to have the ashes of the red heifer. Now, they, are not, they were not searching for old ashes, like some you've heard probably. That was just a fictitious story. Amen. And then there's no such thing as old ashes stored anywhere. Been there time and time again. I'm in contact with the Archaeological Institute of Israel. I'm in contact with, uh, with the uh, a Religious Institute of Israel, amen, and I, 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 I'm just as familiar with everything going on uh, as, as they are themselves. I know the area well, I know every, every square piece of ground there, and there has not been any archaeological diggings at any time, anywhere, searching for red heavy ashes. If anybody would know, amen, the chief rabbi of Jerusalem would know, and the archaeological society would know. But they have to have fresh ashes. 
And therefore, the reason they need these red heifer cattle is because before the priesthood can qualify to serve, they have to be anointed by the ashes of the red heifer. Fingers have to be dipped in the ashes and marked on the forehead of the, of the priest, amen, to qualify him to serve in the offering of sacrifice. Not only that, but they have to have the red heifer ashes for cleansing processes, amen. Anybody that comes in contact with a dead animal or, or a dead uh, uh, human, amen, they're contaminated automatically and they have to have the uh, red heifer ashes anointing them in order for the cleansing to take place. Uh, leprosy, hallelujah, was taken care of by the uh, anointing of the red heifer ash. And therefore the red heifer ash has to be there before the sacrifice ritual can be revived. And here the Jewish people, the Temple Institute, the rabbinical order of the temple, amen, is getting ready to have these red heifers so that they can have the ashes ready for the revival of the sacrifice. And just about the time we had decided to make a trip over there, the Gulf crisis, amen, took over. And therefore, we have tabled this, uh, hallelujah, and we're waiting for things to settle down just a little more in Israel. However, the Temple Institute has made contact with him again, and they are wondering just how soon he'll be able to get there, hallelujah. And he is calling me to find out how soon I'll be ready to get down there, and we are making preparations to make a trip to Jerusalem and sit down with the members of the Temple Institute to negotiate for the sale of the red heifer cow. How near is near, it's no more a near thing, it's nigh at the door. It's nigh. We're living in the shadow of the rapture of the church. But while we're living in the shadow of the rapture, we're living in the shadow of the coming of the Antichrist as well. For the Antichrist is alive in our world. Hallelujah. He's already got himself prepared. Amen. And all that is needed, and we'll talk about this tomorrow night, is the rebuilding of his city that's going to be considered as his headquarters. And when that city has been completed, hallelujah, I wouldn't be surprised that the church will not be gone, and the Antichrist usher himself in, and woe unto the inhabitants of the earth after the church is gone. I wouldn't give you two cents for your life. Let's stand to You know, a lot of folks say that the Old Testament and the New Testament are different. I could take the 22nd verse and put it with Second Corinthians, the sixth chapter, and make the Old Testament and the New Testament come out together. He said, don't you even marry, in the 22nd verse, he said, don't you even marry, but them women that's in the church, maidens that's in Israel. And you know what is said in the New Testament? Don't you be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you the moral law flowed right on over into the New Testament. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Why, there's a difference between you and the unclean. You, you men, you can't marry these women 
that look like Jezebel, talk like Jezebel, and worship Jezebel's God. Jezebel wore all that jewelry and painted up. And she tried to teach Israel that it was all right. But 700 prophets of God stood against her. And in the final end, she was destroyed by God. And the prophets said that they won't even eat your hands. And they won't even eat your head. And they won't even eat your feet. And sure enough, when the dogs ate her, they left her head her hands and her feet. You know why? Her head was so wicked it devised evil. Her hands were so swift to carry out the evil and her feet so swift to carry her there. And tried to turn the children of God against God and make no difference between the clean and the unclean. Amen. I'll tell you something, woman. You better get God on your side. Now, in the fifth verse, it says, For every high priest is taken from among men. And a lot of people today are having trouble with that separation. I haven't got... You say, well, I don't mean us because we're not in the high priest. I want to tell you, in Second Peter, the second chapter, ninth verse said, But you are a royal priesthood. Chosen people. A peculiar people. I'll tell you God took you out. He said ordain for men. The man of God is ordained. Let me tell you something. I'm not preaching in here to condemn you. I'm preaching in here to save you. But the word of God condemns. But let me tell you something. If it didn't condemn you, how would you be saved? I said if it didn't condemn you, how would you be saved? What would you do the night you got saved? You went to the altar and repented. But you know what? After we did that one time, we think we're saved. And so we don't want to do it no more. I'm going to tell you the Bible said, He that endureth unto the end the same bit shall be saved. I want you to know after the night you get the Holy Ghost, if there's still stuff in you that needs to be cleaned out, you need to go through the process and go through the process and go through the process until you come out wider than snow. Amen. How many of you want God taking you there until you come out over there pure gold? Huh? Come on. Hallelujah. Now don't worry about this. The gospel takes care of itself. Praise God. He's ordained for men pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. That when you come, somebody said, well, how do you bring, how do you bring gifts to God in worship and praise and adoration? But sacrifices, you come with humble repentance and bring to God. You know what? We don't bring a dove, a goat, or something. Bring your sin and put it on the altar and kill it and sacrifice it. Bible said in Romans the 12th chapter that we present our bodies our bodies a living sacrifice put it on the altar and kill it get it out of your life 
You don't have to leave the church because you find something wrong in your life. You've got to clean up your life. I'm going to tell you young people something. You don't have to leave because you've done something the church preaches against. You've got to clean it up and stop it. And you're going to do things that you ought not to do. Say, well, why, why am I going to do things I ought not to do? Because you're going to find out if you don't pray, you're weak. So, well, how can I stop it? Be a prayer warrior in the church when you're 15 and 16 and stay one. And be a worshiper in the church and stay one. I said, well, I need to find out about something. You wish to God you never found out about it. Some of you heard that man preach down there in youth camp. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. My dad was literally shook up and astounded when I told him Ray Day's dead. Yeah. There's a guy walked up to me yesterday. I hadn't seen him. Day four yesterday? I think it was day four yesterday we stood on the ground talk. Man, I forgot nearly half the things he reminded me of. He asked me about this and about that one and everything. I, I said, I told him, I said, you know, some of them people are dead. He's shocked. Old Ray Dave was standing at a grill frying hamburgers, 39 years old, dropped dead on the floor. Old Donnie Ertle laughed at God. He's a teenage boy. 17 years old, he started laughing at God and started teaching all the boys in the church to laugh at God. Started teaching all the boys in the church that wasn't no God and didn't have to obey their mom and dad and didn't have to pay attention to the pastor. And got a bunch, he got a bunch of boys to backslide. He even got me to. He got my brother to. Fact is, he got Tommy more trouble than he could get out of. Ain't none of your business. He got Gary Taylor messed up. Gary Taylor might have got saved, but he got him so messed up, Gary Taylor said, shoot, boys out in the world ain't as bad as them boys in the church. He, he, got, he got Keith Caton too. He got Jim Caton too. Well, that's another one. It's rough to live in a cornfield, isn't it? Oh, payday won't come. Yeah. He got a bunch of boys to backslide right out of the church. I looked back. I said, Brother Roman, my pastor died with a broken heart. Crushed him. He got a bunch of boys, but he walked into a doctor's office a few years ago. That hadn't even been 10 years ago. He died younger than I am, and he's older than I am. He walked into a doctor's office one day, and the doctor looked at him and said, You got six months to live, boy. And he didn't even have enough sense to go to the church and run the altar and get himself straightened out with God. He thought he could pull it off like he's been pulling it off, but instead of living six months, he died in three months. 
I will tell you what, God will give you a space of time repentance. You know what I'm learning it is? I'm learning by life of watching, by example, that it's around 20 years. And then he moves in. Amen. Amen. I'm telling you what, if you're going to go out and mess up, go by yourself. Don't take nobody with you. Don't try to destroy the house of God. They told me a boy backslid down there in Junction City, and he's doing everything he can to jerk the young people out of Brother Westberg's church. I will tell you what, all of you hear about that, John. You need to spit on the ground so I won't hear a thing about him. Amen. He ain't got no business visiting any of you. Amen. The fact is, any of them that don't want to live for God ain't got no business visiting any of you. They're not there to make you live for God. And some of you say, well, we're going to get them back in church. No, you're not. You're going to get that venom in you. They come in there and tell you the preacher did this and the church did that and they did everything, done everything to them except they got down and repented of their sins. Amen. The church ain't done nothing to them except prayed and fasted their guts out for them. Preached like I did tonight. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you I'm not no Baptist. I'm not looking for Jesus to come after I'm dead and gone and my children. One of them told me out at the fence about a year or two ago, well, you know, I believe he'll probably come in around 30 to 50 years. And so you know what he does on Saturday night? He's down there listening to Jerry Lee Lewis at the Grand Ole Opry in the drunk hall. Even when you're saved. Did you notice this? Have you noticed this, Sister Keller? That even when you hit your 40s, a doctor says, well, you got, how old was you, Sister Keller, first time you told me you had cancer in your 50s? Right after she come to church. Man, that's almost as long ago as Jeffy died. And, and you know, even when you're saved, Sister Mango, sometimes you have to go have an operation, get something straightened out. 